This episode of Las Blancas podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Go over to manscaped.com and use code MANAGINGMADRID for 20% off and free shipping. That's code MANAGINGMADRID for 20% off and free shipping over on manscaped.com. And today's episode is El Clasico edition. Om Arvin and Grant Little are going to break that down. Actually was recorded late last night, but didn't get a chance to posting it until this morning. And... Uh, just my two cents, you know, obviously the much more elite coverage from Omen Grant is upcoming, but I watched this game in its entirety, just the timing worked out with connections in the airport for me on the way home from Madrid, and I was impressed. I was impressed with Real Madrid Femenino's performance. I thought the press was good. I thought Barca were stifled. I thought we should have been up by a couple goals at halftime, and maybe my expectations were just so low just because I know how these games against Barca Femenino can go. Uh, but I was really, really impressed. So uh, good performance, bad result. Um, I think a, a good step in the right direction. Just want to point your attention also that over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid, a lot is happening. So today, later, we'll be posting a loan tracker episode, which we do every week where we review the performances of Real Madrid's loanees. And then tomorrow is the weekly Thursday mailbag that's exclusively for patrons every Thursday with Lucas and I, patreon.com slash managing Madrid to submit your questions and also get access to the podcast itself and listen to the answers. Uh, also, this episode is brought to you by Bisha Hotel Toronto, which is where you should be booking your stay when you come see us in Toronto for our last live podcast of the season. We are doing an end of season podcast in Toronto the last weekend of May. The link to book your spot is in the show notes and if you go to BishaHotelToronto.com, you can stay like rock royalty. Stay two nights and save 10% in a room or suite designed by Kravitz Design, who, by the way, sounds familiar because it is spearheaded by rock legend Lenny Kravitz. So book your stay at Bisha Hotel Toronto. Book your spot to the Toronto podcast. And today's the 23rd, which means you have two days left to book your spot to Mumbai at an early bird rate. If you If you are planning to come to Mumbai and you don't book Within the next two days, you're going to have to pay more uh, after the 25th. So that is also on the show notes. Go book your spot. Go to patreon.com slash management, become a patron. Enjoy this podcast, and let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Hello and welcome to Las Blancas Podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvind, and I am joined by Grant Little. As always, we're going to talk about El Clasico. Another El Clasico defeat in the space of three days, but this time it was a little bit different. Real Madrid Femino lost to Barcelona 3-1 in the UEFA Women's Champions League quarterfinals first leg. But the reason it was different, because for the longest time, it actually looked like Real Madrid were outperforming their opponents which just doesn't feel like a thing I should be allowed to say because it's that nuts. But something strange and amazing happened for about 50, 55 minutes that actually had us on top a little bit. And that's what we're going to break down and talk about today. And, and, and boy, was that moment when things flipped in favor of Barca controversial as hell. 
Grant, this was a roller coaster of emotions, right? Because we score so early and then the performance just looks so good for so long. Then Barca get that penalty call. They equalize and then they, they get a winner late. And then just to lay it on you in the last second of the match, they get that third goal and it just like completely deflates you. But, you know, I, I took a couple minutes, stepped back, looked at the performance that we had. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm feeling elated again because we kind of knew that even when we went one nil up, that this was the likely result. And I just was really proud with how we played. And so I was like, all right, I'm, I'm back in and I'm ready to go see when I can write a tactical piece after I do the press conference. But because the press conference and, and having to translate the quotes and the podcast and all of that, I would probably have to write it on Thursday. Well, the good news is maybe I do have time to write a tactical piece because I never attended the press conference. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, maybe it was my fault, but I don't really see how because uh, as always lucas our main man sends an email on on behalf of me based on my request to real madrid's press office the femenino press officer which is a different one um we split it up on like other teams and they sent us a link for the post-match press conference this was really early in the morning i got sent the link 6 a.m my time i wasn't even awake so i was like okay there's the link right and immediately after the game i click the link and I just have it there on zoom and it says the meeting has not started yet, which is typical. And so I was just going to leave it open whenever the meeting started, I'll hear that that's happened and I'll just go in and focus on that. So in the meantime, prepping my questions, asking, you know, kind people at twitter.com, they can help check my translations, doing all that work, prepped a, a real nice message for Toril before I asked my questions, I was going to be like, before anything, just want to let you know how proud the Madridistas are of this performance for, for, for allowing us to believe that we could win, something like that. And um, I'm sitting there, and it's, it's going a little long, right? So I messaged one of the Barca journalists who was there, and we're, we're talking about it, and he's like, I can send you some of the audio I got on Jonathan Giraldo speaking. I was like, cool. And then he's like, I don't have anything on Toril, though. And I'm like, you don't have anything on Toril? And I was like, has it started? And he's like, I asked if the Madrid one had started. He's like, yeah, it just ended. And I was just, I just sat there for a moment like, what? Because I was sent a Zoom link. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, there was something fishy when, all, when it said the meeting has yet to start. And it said it would start at 3 a.m. my time. That was a little bit of a red flag. But you know what? They, the, the press conference link that was sent to me for the pre-match press conference for Barca said it would start at 9 a.m. my time. And it, it instead started at 12 in my time. So I don't know, maybe that wasn't such of a red flag because this is just what Madrid do. Anyway, it turns out I got sent a wrong link, a broken link. I don't know what happened, but uh, I did not attend the press conference and I did not get to ask Toril any of my questions. Probably only would have been allowed to ask one anyway, but one of them would have been, or my intended question would have been about how we performed on the ball and some of the patience we showed in possession. So, yeah, real roller coaster of emotions for me. I imagine that's just unique to me, Grant. It was up and down for you as well, no? Yeah, this was a roller coaster of emotions. I honestly couldn't believe it when we converted that chance at the beginning. And, you know, after the game ended, I went through like sadness to anger to now I'm here. So, we're going to see what comes out in this podcast 
real excited when we get the penalty discourse, which is the first time and probably only time I'll ever say that because Grant, I think, embodies the the popular opinion, the consensus opinion, not just of Madridistas, but I was seeing a lot of neutrals watching. I don't know how neutral they are, though, because I think everyone wants to see Barca lose, but non-Madrid, non-Barca fans were, were also really thought it was a pen. And um, I have slightly different views, which is probably going to get me crucified. So I'm glad Grant is here and he can he can give me that other perspective. So it's going to be cool when we get to that. But let's start from the very beginning. Lineups. The real surprise here is that Ivana was left out. Kenti was also left out, but Ivana, like, just it, it felt like the big one. But we had Misa on goal. Lucia, Sveva as fullbacks, Bobs and Rocio at center back, double pivot of Teresa and Zornoza, Maite playing as the number 10, Atene and Olga as the wide players, Atene on the right, Olga on the left, and Esther as a striker. Classic 4-2-3-1, Maite as the 10, no Kasi, and so obviously Pere is the one who comes in, right? So none of that really felt like a surprise. And then on the flanks, it's always going to be a choice. Is it going to be Olga or is it going to be Muller? And based on form, Olga just felt like the better choice. No Ivana, no Kenti, though. I kind of took it as like, maybe this means he is kind of like changed his view and that these games versus Barca are not the most important in his mind, right? But it wasn't exactly mass rotations. It was just two players. What did you, what was going through your head when you, when you saw the lineup? Yeah, the first thing I noticed was Ivana, I think, Regardless of how you take the game, it feels weird to not have your captain in a Champions League quarterfinal. I think that's a bit odd, especially because she is usually the pillar of that defense and has been probably one of the most consistently slotted into the starting 11 lineups for Osnar or for Toril. So I thought that was really strange, but you know, I have faith in Bob's, I have faith in Rocio, so I wasn't too weirded out by it. I think the Kenty substitution for Lucia was maybe just rotation. You know, those fullbacks get up and down the the flanks quite a bit, and Kenty is a bit on the more veteran or older side. So I get rotating ahead of Levante. I was very happy to see Maite Tere and Zornosa all in the midfield. I think this is really what we harped on in the when we lost five zero and Kasi was in there. Just being able to have the ball more really helps. And we saw that so much in the first half of this game and I'll and I'm sure we'll get into it. And then as we started to fade and Barca started to grow in the game, we had less of the ball for reasons that we'll talk about. And I think if you just look at the the, the two halves, it becomes clear how important it is to get on the ball and relieve some of that pressure. Yeah, and well, that that's the thing, right? That's why I was really surprised not to see Ivana if that's the case, because we've talked about how Bob's can have vulnerabilities when being pressed. And the first thing she's going to do is just kind of launch it long. And that's been our primary frustration with her, really. Well, I mean, kind of everything else, like defensively, she's not Ivana, but she's she's quite good. And I rate her higher in that category than Rocio. So that's why I was kind of like, especially based on what you're saying and how the game started to play out, I was like, well, that's a big decision, but we don't really know what's going on there. No press conference, obviously, so no chance to ask um, Toril about that. And I haven't had time to see if anyone has put up quotes on him explaining that. But that was our lineup. And just real quick, before we dive into everything that happened in the game, Barca's was pretty typical based on like the absences that they had. It's, it's almost exactly what I expected. 
Panos in goal, Mapi Andrea Pereira at center back, Marte Torajon and Leila as the fullbacks, awesome midfield trio of Alexia Patri Aitana, front three of Rolfa at, uh, at, on the left wing, Jenny as the false nine, and Carolina Graham Hansen at right wing. And so, yeah, I, I think the really notable thing right off the bat after there were some midfield duels and like this early transition moment for Barca is that we were like really looking to be patient on the ball and, and try to circulate possession and look for openings in a way that was really drastically different from all the other performances we've had against Barcelona. Bar the one time under Aznar, we tried the 4-4-2 diamond. And that was the only time where we kind of tried to play in a similar way, both offensively and defensively, except this time it was happening from the 4-2-3-1. And I think it's really notable and it's, it's going to be a tricky one to analyze because I do want to go back and break some things down later. But Barcelona were not applying a level of pressure from the front in ways that I've seen them do almost every other time before, especially versus us. Like it was, it's not that they weren't going for it, but it was looked like a little bit lower line of engagement, more mid high block than high block. And Jenny and Aitana, who is the player stepping up to create the front two, were just not really going for it. And again, that's why my question wanted to Toril to be about basically what was the in-possession plan and was this like more patient approach? Was that part of what you were doing? So I, I think it had to be, but how exactly do I, you know, disassociate that or, you know, find the causation between that and, and Barcelona's like lack of pressure that we were seeing? I don't know. I think we can just acknowledge it for now. And it gave more time for our center backs and especially Bob's, which I thought was a huge, huge win for us to really pick their heads up, think about where they were going to go. And we did, we thought about what we were going to do and we actually tried to find solutions on the ground. And this is really the key to me, right? Basically all of last podcast in the five, no loss was me harping on about how no one respects the fact that you need to have quality on the ball versus Barcelona, right? Everyone focuses, what are we doing out of possession all the time, which is great. I mean, you have to focus on that, but what happens when you get the ball back? Because Barcelona aren't just a great team because they can kill you when they have the ball and they're building up against a block or whatever. It's in those moments of transition, they counterpress you, they swarm you, they suffocate you, they don't allow any transitions going against them. And then they immediately send a wave of pressure against you, which might just look like a counterattack for them, or they'll reset and they'll come again. And it's just so mentally draining to face that over and over again. So for me, the key is, and and I said, coming into this game, we've done some good low block performances. Now I want to see what our press resistance looks like. And man, it just felt like night and day, what we were watching in this game versus so many performances in the past. When Sveva, I think this is one of the first possessions, looked up down the line, didn't like what she saw, and turned around and played the ball back to the center back, to Rocio, and we rotated to the far side. I kind of felt like, okay, there's something different with what we're doing. So what did you think about our onboards? And, and this is just one part of it. We, we went direct plenty of times, so we'll also talk about that. But what do you think about our on-ball approach and this idea of trying to be a little bit more patient versus Barca. I mean, you already talking a little bit about it, but just um, give me your full thoughts on that. 
Yeah, I loved it, and it's good to see. I think it, we haven't really tried this before, and like you said, defending this team in a low block for 90-plus minutes is just asking for hell for 90 minutes. Like, if you just com continue to clear the ball up the field over and over and over again and just welcome an onslaught of chances and attack in attacks, like, Barcelona is not only going to score goals, but they're going to run you into the ground. By having the ball, slowing things down, having your own kind of pace to this, you not only have the chance to create more opportunities, progress up the field, but you give time for your players to rest, to refocus, to readjust. That way you're not constantly disorganized by Barcelona clearing, last-ditch defending. This way you have a little more say in how the game is played. And it's like something that we've been pretty poor at doing even against teams that aren't Barcelona so I was super excited to see that and then I also thought that one of the most important things in this game was the decision making of Athenea, Esther, and Olga in the front three because when we did go direct or when they did get forward and they were maybe facing a 1v2, 1v3 we started to see them pull the ball back, rotate, let the midfielders and the defense get forward and bring them in to Barcelona's half rather than just going at it, losing the ball, trying to pump something down the flanks. We saw this decision-making al allow us to get up the pitch, and it it helped us maintain possession and for longer periods of time so Barca didn't just get the ball back because a lot of the times in that 5-0 result in games prior, you have Athenea released down the flank, and she's going at like five defenders loses the ball, and then you start over again, and then you're down Athenea in defense because she's up the pitch and just got stripped of the ball. This way, you get your numbers forward, and you're able to really possess and try and put Barcelona under pressure and pick them apart in ways that we haven't really done before, and I think that Olga especially was great at that today. Those are really important points because composure is the key versus Barcelona, right? And versus every single opponent we've seen them crush, what happens is they just panic on the turnover. They're like, we're only going to have one to two chances. They really feel the pressure. They tighten up. And you can just see them waste moments where you just think, well, that was your chance, right? Because Barca are going to control the ball for the next 20 minutes. But that's, that's the point, right? This, I, when, we, when we look at the screen, we're like, that was your chance. They're feeling that exact same type of emotion. And that puts too much pressure on their execution. And even if they're, they're sides that are comfortable in possession or be generally decent at playing out of the press, like it all falls apart versus Barca because you need to elevate to a different level of mentality. And I just wasn't expecting us to be able to do that on the day. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to the goal because it happened really early. And obviously that would have influenced our confidence a bit, but really early on and maybe encouraged by the fact that Barca were just not pressing that aggressively or as, as aggressively we've seen, you could kind of already see us somehow like isolating ourselves from that pressure and being able to actually make decisions, purposeful decisions on the football pitch, instead of just trying to just reacting randomly to everything Barca was doing. And that is the key. That is the key. And look, we, we had kind of a discussion already about Kasi not being in midfield and stuff like that. So no need to rehash it, but I, I really do think it's pertinent that you contrast these two performances. Like, I just think it would have been a lot harder to be able to have that composure and some element of control, which we had in midfield with Kasi there, because that's just not her skill set. And 
yet we didn't really see much of a drop off defensively. And I, that, I think that's the thing, right? Is it's about trade-offs. You will lose something defensively to, to a certain degree. I don't think it's that much, but we will lose something to a certain degree if Kasi's not there against the ball. But you need to compare that to what you gain on the ball. And I just think the trade-offs are so, so clear. And today it showed it, right? Our best ball-playing midfield is Teresa Zornoza Maite, and they were all fabulous under pressure. Now, the defensive approach, why did that work? And the thing is that that was really amazing is that it was basically an all-out high press in the first half. And in a very typical way to, to how we've seen before, it was the 4-4-1-1 press. One of Maite or Esther is going to cover shadow the, the Patri dropping um, if they need to, and then go to press the center backs. But this is, it's very similar to Manchester City in how adaptive we became. And, and this is like just a, a, a game where all the players really clicked in reacting defensively, right? Because Barca are always going to have a free player in buildup based on how possession flows. Like one of my there, Esther is not always going to have access to that free player, not always going to be pressed in the same way. So how does the midfield line adapt? And Zornoza was most often the player who had to step up to Patri and did a really, really fantastic job. I mean, Tede also had, had to do that in certain moments, but she was often on Alexia. And it was just a really, really aggressive structure to where we were going to contest any ball that came into midfield. There was no way Aitana or Alexia or Patri were going to be able to receive without pressure on their back, right? If they were going to beat us, they had to turn past that pressure and then look to play. And the reason most teams don't want to do this is because there are no three better central midfielders in the world at turning past pressure on their back and then making you pay for that. I guess the other thing I should mention is that Bob's especially was quite aggressive in, in tracking Jenny when dropping or trying to pick up a free central midfielder at the midfield line wasn't able to, to come get them, which will actually be like really relevant on the third goal that Barca scored. But it's really typical to what we've seen before. I, I, I'm going to have to go back and look at all the nuances, but that was the basic idea. I like that you brought up the comparison to the Manchester City game because it's exactly what I thought in this first half. I think, you know, we talk about losing maybe a little bit defensively with Kasi, but I think the way that Claudia Zornosa and the way that Teresa stepped up on Patri and Alexia was something that I don't know if we see from Kasi, and it allows us to to pick up balls in more dangerous areas and spring attacks forward quite like we did against Manchester City where a lot of our opportunities came in these short transition areas after we won the ball back. And I think, you know, Terry did a great job on Alexia. Zornosa did a great job on Patri. And I think that it was, this team has played Barcelona a lot this season. I think often when teams play Barcelona, they have too much respect for them. Obviously, you need to respect them. They're like the best team in the world. They're the reigning European champions. But by giving them too much respect, you allow them too much space. You allow them too much time on the ball. We came in here and we contested for every single ball and did not let Alexia and Patri feel comfortable at any point, which was key to, to this defensive performance, I think. I think this is a perfect moment to actually transition to the goal that we scored in the eighth minute, which I'm re-watching right now, even though I've already re-watched it a million times. And it starts off with Tede wins the ball back. 
deep on the right-hand side. We try to launch a counter forward. It doesn't really work. And so Andrea Pereira goes to recover the pass. But what's really key here is we've kick-started into a high press instantly. And so you have Mapi, Leila, Andrea Pereira, and it's Pati on the left-hand side there. In that particular moment, just when Pereira recovers the ball, and we have three players on that side. We have Esther, Maite already coming all the way over to, to Andrea Pereira, and we have Atenea covering the touchline. So technically, Barca have a 4v3, but if you go back and look at it, Mapi and Leila are in the same line. And so like Leila as a passing option doesn't exactly exist. And this is what happens when play is reorganizing from a transition moment, right? And so we go and press there, and Pereira actually does the right thing and threads a ball into Alexia back into midfield at the halfway line. And this is really key here because Tere is right there. And this is impressive to me because she won the ball back real deep and was the one, I think, who lost, the, lost possession with the pass. And she recovers really quickly to get on Alexia's ass as she tries to go on the half turn. And Alexia actually just gets past her. Tere does a, does a really good job of recognizing, okay, Alexia has turned past me. Let me recover in front of her and try to block off a pass to our right-hand side. And Zornoza does a superb job here because what Alexia has done essentially is turned face to the other side of the pitch, got ahead of Tere, and she has Aitana kind of in her sights as a la- in a lateral pass. But Zornoza comes to Alexia, cover shadowing that lane, but she comes quick enough because Aitana is making a movement in behind. And if Alexia can just wait long enough, she can split both Pere and Zornoza and, and break the entire thing. And there's all sorts of space for Hansen on the far side. And we probably like concede a really good chance there. But Zornoza comes real aggressively with her body shape, forces Alexia to turn back to her own goal. And Alexia plays a super lazy pass into Patri. Patri stretches, can't get the ball. And then Esther's away. And I just really love this moment because all we do, right, is complain, Esther, release the ball faster, <laughs> release the ball faster. And she holds onto the ball so long here. And there is no better decision she could have made in this moment because the offensive support just wasn't arriving immediately. Like there was nothing real good on the right-hand side. You had Maite making a fairly lax run. Zornoza trying to come over there. You had Mapi really blocking off that side well. And Patri was, was looking to recover. And so Esther's like, nope, I don't like those options. Let me turn back to the left-hand side. And as she does, Torrejon, and this was a problem with her the entire game. And honestly, also because Pereira came over too much, she like just really collapses that defensive line as she's coming over. And as Esther looks up, it's the easiest pass in the world to Olga coming, coming down that left-hand side. And she just threads a neat ball. Torrejon stretches, can't get to it. And Olga takes her time, sets herself up, and slots a beautiful finish into that far corner. But I think this is a combination of so many of the things that we've been talking about up until this point, right? The composure on the ball, right? To wait for the support to come. You, you have that transition moment, so make it pay. Don't freak out, right? If things need to develop, let it develop. Don't be thinking about the fact that this may be the last transition moment I get. Live in that moment and try to make the best of it as you can. If it turns into a situation where we have to recirculate possession, guess what? We're in the framework and the mentality to be patient on the ball, to go fashion a chance. Like I think it all comes together to 
help us make better decisions in transition. It's, it's funny, but I, I, I think having composure in all aspects of your possession plan helps in counterattacking situations, right? Because you don't feel like the weight of that moment just there because you, you're, you're, you're like, we're okay to keep the ball. And so, and it dovetails like maybe coincidentally, but perfectly with Esther's tendencies here. And so you have that composure, but you also have this intense defensive aggression, like a real commitment from everyone involved to not let Barcelona, especially the midfielders, play freely, right? You have to come to them. You have to be on their back. If they turn past you, then it's on your teammate to come and help you. And if they beat us that way, they beat us that way. In this sequence, they were not able to, and we end up scoring the goal. I talked about this for like 30 minutes, Grant, but if you have anything you want to say about this. No, this is a hell of a finish and exactly what we've kind of complained about when we get these kind of opportunities in past Classicos that we rush it, we overthink it. Olga gets the ball, looks up, examines where Panos is, where she's going, and just finishes expertly. It was clutch. It was such a nice finish. And what you need to do against Barcelona. Like, how many times have we seen teams spurn chances exactly like this because they overthink it? I mean, just a great finish, especially from, you know, someone as young as Olga. I, I tweeted out that this was their second goal in the Classico. Obviously, the last one wasn't too much pressure because she scored the penalty to make it 4-1. But she's come up and really converted her chances when she gets them in these Classicos. And it's great to see her put this away. I don't know if you remember this moment, and I don't remember all the players involved, certainly, but when we did the 4-4-2 diamond, we had a, like a really early turnover in that moment. I think it was Jakobsen, who she just needed to turn her head and see Cardona, it was, making that run into space in the box and just feed her off of this high turnover. And we would have had a one versus one, like, but on the opposite side of the box. And it just... I'm like, I'm a sickle, right? So like immediately after Olga scores that goal, obviously I'm happy and everything, but what am I thinking? My mind flashes back to that moment. And it's just like, imagine if we just had the composure then. Look, I think we still would have gotten cooked. I, I think there's been like a certain progression with this side who've gotten more and more used to facing Barca. But still, I have to wonder if we take advantage of that one moment and we are able to score how does the outlook of the game change? Because Barca also started that game quite sloppily under pressure. And in this moment, we take advantage of it. And it's a really, really high quality chance. And if Barca weren't rattled to begin with, boy, like it kind of looked like they crumbled up until like the 20, 25th minute where they had a brief spell where it looked like they were going to get everything back in control. And, and that's the thing, right? Like we want to be balanced in the analysis here. This was a really awful performance for most of the game from some of Barcelona's most reliable players. Like it really looked like they were not expecting what we threw at them, which again shows that the approach that we went with is good, but will it be the same in the camp now? Who knows? But they really looked a little shocked. I think they expected same low block, you know, Real Madrid were real proud about the one nil loss earlier this season where we defended the low block the entire time. You know, Toril in the press conference just mentioned low block, low block, low block, like 50 times, which may have been a little bit of mind games there. I don't know. But he also kind of hinted that, I mean, he also mentioned multiple times in the pre-match press conference that like he had an understanding of Barca's weaknesses and they would look to, to look to exploit it. So I kind of guess this is, this is part of it. But 
they did not look comfortable at all. And look, this is the best team in the world at building against pressure, but there's context to every game. And the context of this game is they were not expecting it. And when we ended up scoring the way they did, they kind of felt vulnerable for, for a good portion of time. And there started to be a lot of shitty mistakes from some of the best players in the world. I thought Moppy was terrible on the ball in a lot of sequences where she would normally play a really ice cold pass through the lines or pick the safer decision. She constantly got caught out by the fact that our wingers were really narrow in their positioning or looking to block the pass into half spaces. Like we wanted to go wide where we could go and press. Again, this is really similar to the plan we had versus Manchester City. And she just, she just played the ball in there, tried to fire it and force it through. And we were able to intercept and launch counterattacks. Alexia Puteas was terrible, except for those moments of quality where she ended up scoring. And I mean, I, she's the best player in the world. So that's how it goes, right? Even on our worst day, she makes a huge difference. But I thought she was really bad in receiving under pressure. Like Pede was all over her. You, you messaged it to me. I don't know whether it was like, slightly tongue-in-cheek but i don't think you were no i was i was 100 percent, man i thought terry absolutely pocketed alexia for that first half and i like you said alexia did not play well i mean everyone is gonna laugh at us as we say that because she scored two goals but she did not play up to her standards at all and i thought terry dominated her for the the first 45 minutes yeah, she was rattled, which if she's rattled, everyone else is going to be rattled because she's the one that instills a level of order and calm, unlike anyone else. Patri was horrendous. I thought she was the worst, well, no, the second worst player on the pitch. Yeah, Ob- like obviously, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> well, okay, it, could be, it could be third worst, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, which yeah, says a lot, I mean... but, but Patri was the worst non-defender on the pitch for Barcelona, and Obviously, she ends up playing a beautiful ball in behind to set up the third goal. But, but at that point, it was like we, we kind of knew what, what the tie was going to be. Like up until that point, just playing under no pressure whatsoever, missing crossfield switches that she normally would hit, not being able to hang with runners in transition when she's one of the more mobile defensive midfielders in the world. She just looked completely off the pace. Like she was rattled. Um, Aitana was not particularly great. But the two who were just awful, awful were Leila and Andrea Pereira. And it's no surprise they ended up getting subbed off in the second half. But Andrea Pereira, oh, she suffered. She really suffered today. I mean, Esther constantly getting in behind her, out-muscling her. Mappi kind of felt like she was on her own out there a lot of times, even when the entire backline came together. She was a huge liability on the day for Barca, playing out of the press defensively. I mean, she's a solid player. But when Irene Paredes came on, which we'll get to, there was certainly a different look about Barca. There are levels to, to the quality with, with some of the players in the squad. And then Leila, who famously is always considered to be the weak link in the, in, the, in the side, which I sometimes think is a bit harsh. A lot of times I think she just does the job that she needs to do and she doesn't need to do anything more. But when everyone else is performing like shit, your weakest link player cannot perform worse than them. Like that's not how it works if you want to be able to, to establish control of her game the way Barca did, and she was terrible. She could not hang with Athenea one versus one in transition and playing out of the press. We were real happy for Barca to go to their left-hand side and for us to attack Leila on that. I, I think it's, it's fine to be completely honest about the fact that Barcelona were not up to their standards at all. And there were was a huge number of poor individual performances, but we kind of forced them into that, right? Like, 
you'd expect them to respond better given their quality, right? We're, we're not trying to be like, oh my God, Real, no one is, is going to come after this and say Real Madrid is better than Barca now, right? So obviously what I'm saying is true, but we did force them into this. And that's what I, I find like kind of remarkable. The most remarkable thing about this game is that we actually really rattled them and completely disrupted their rhythm. And if there's a, a case where everyone is just like, off the pace and looks bad, there's something the opposition did right. And I, I really, really liked our approach. And uh, we'll continue talking about it because there's still a lot more to say. I haven't even got to what we were doing on, on, on direct balls, set pieces and stuff, but let's move on a little bit. Is there any kind of like, I guess, chances and stuff? I mean, boy, I don't even know if we had time to take all the notes, but let's, let's say going into like the 20, 25th minute, because I think there's a little bit of a change in the dynamic there. Any kind of moments you want to pick out or, or do you want to go straight to that? Yeah, so one of the things that really stood out to me was it wasn't until the 26th minute, if I'm correct, that Patri got Barcelona's first shot on target, and it was from outside of the box, a low shot that Misa got down well to save. And after that, you know, the 34th minute, they had their their first corner, and I think if you look back at our other games, like within five minutes, they would have had a shot or a corner in pretty much every other time that they played us. And then, you know, Barcelona had that little spell, and I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, but after that, we had two really good chances that could have put the game at 2-0 or 3-0 if you convert both of them. So, yeah, the moments going up to to 20, 25 minutes was was us actually getting a lot of joy in transition. This is when the Esther-Andrea Pereira matchup started to look like disproportionately in favor of us, and uh, we were able to find some controlled progression on the ground. Like, the amazing thing about all of this is Barca just weren't actually getting to our box. That's the thing that was like, wow. And that's the sign that like, oh yeah, something is off with them. And we really got to them with what we were doing initially. And by the end of the half, it differs a little bit between Google stats and what zone showed on TV. But between both Google and zone, we had more shots on target than Barca in the first half. I, that's just, it's so, if you guys have been following how we've been talking about this team, you would never think we'd ever say that. Even in a game we'd win, we'd be like, for at least 45 minutes, you know, they were able to do more than us, but we fought hard. No, we actually just outperformed them in the first half, and we had more shots on target. Now, according to zone, we had one more shot in total, five versus four. Google at halftime said it was five shots to five. So at the very least, on pure shot, shot count, it was either even or we were one shot ahead of them, which is incredible. And I think actually like really reflective of the fact that it felt like an even game. Like it was back and forth. Real Madrid had the better chances and Barca were really struggling. Now, 20, 25 minutes kind of leading to Patri's shot on target that you talked about. I kind of felt like, okay, this is when Barca like settled down, right? There was that moment where we couldn't get on the ball. They were starting to rotate things nicely. The counter press and rest defense was coming together and they were starting to suffocate us a little bit. And then our defense just keep, keeps going. We're able to force them into more turnovers again. They get rattled again. Esther's going in behind and it just we just keep coming and coming and coming. Like, and, and this is the thing where it was, where I think it's, it's worthy to talk about like some of the direct things we were doing because so obviously if it was on, we were just going to try to play to Athena and Olga in behind, especially Athena, right? Like test Lila as much as possible. But another thing we were doing is Esther, and this is just kind of taking advantage of the things that she does. She will drift over to one flank, right? Because she wants to get on the ball. 
But also, I think a lot of this was planned is Esther would go and overload one side and we'd play it long and we'd try to attract the fullback to Esther, have her flick it on to a winger going in space on the flanks and we were in behind, right? So like, this is the thing. I'm not against going long versus Barca. I just hate the way so many teams do it because there's no strategy to it, right? It's just, oh my God, I'm freaking out, which is fair, right? I'm, I'm not making fun of them. Like I would be losing my shit if I saw Alexio Puteres charging at me, but they freak out and they just pump it to like one center forward with no one around them. And the ball is like five yards off target. Like they're not going to win the one versus five battle. Even Esther, who we need to talk about because boy, did she show some fight today. There's nothing is going to happen from that. If you were going to play long, you need support for the second ball. And there were plenty of moments where we set it up nicely on both flanks, had bodies around, and we had the right structure to actually support a direct strategy. And we got in behind, we were able to create danger. The other thing was on set pieces twice, or I don't, I don't know if it was twice, but at least once from the right-hand side, we looked to play a ball with Esther splitting two defenders on kind of the edge of the, the defensive line and shape. And that's when she ended up striking the post, right, Grant? If you remember that chance. Yep, that was in the 38th minute. And it was a bit, it was a good bit of skill to get through those two defenders. It was a good ball from Zornosa. But Esther still had to do a lot of work to get the ball through those defenders and then get that shot off. There was also a, a set piece that we were able to, uh, it was a corner kick, not a, not a free kick like that Esther chance. She played short similar to what we did last game, found Zornoza on the box, had a weak shot that she maybe could have done a little bit better with that was saved. So it was all clicking offensive. We had really clear ideas of what we wanted to do with Esther, really trying to take advantage of her physicality, put her in duels with support around her or with good service, let her go to work. There was clear ideas in literally everything we were doing offensively, which I was, I'm really proud of it. Like This is, this is what I want to see. I want ideas and I want to see the team really commit to trying to execute them at a high level because ultimately, what is this about, right? I I mean, obviously in this moment, we're like, we wanted the result, but if we step back and look at this picture, Barcelona right now is the chance to test ideas at the highest level, right? Every time we set up against them, it's like, can we do this thing? Can we do it well? And Barcelona will tell us how well we're doing it based on how they perform. And I really like that we tested the high press. We tested trying to control play on the ground. We tested a direct strategy. We tested all these set piece routines and we got really good signs from all of them. And we were able to see like, guess what? We can actually perform at a really high ceiling when it all comes together for us. Like we're actually capable of it. The question now is, how do we extract this game to game, especially when we're, we're considered to be the dominant force, right? When we don't have that underdog mentality, which we just absolutely have not achieved yet, whether under Toril or under Aznar. Obviously, the worst of it was under Aznar after that Manchester City, that brief oasis in that horrible run of form. Really, really loved. Like, I just sat back after one direct sequence and I was just like, we're just, we just have a really good plan. And that, that, this is by far the most impressive tactical performance from Toril, like easily, because I have not seen us have this clear and this, you know, intelligent ideas in possession based, based on the opposition. So that was great. I'm all over the place, Grant. Reel me back in. What else do we want to talk about in the first half? 
I think that this is probably just a testament to how Barca were not good on the day in the 40th minute. You know, Rocio just has a free kick almost on the top of our own box and just plays it right over the top to Esther. And Esther takes a touch and has basically a one-on-one with Panos. And Panos gets down quickly, comes out, makes the angle tough and saves it. But like, that's the kind of stuff that you don't see that this Barcelona team do. And I think it's a testament to how much Real Madrid kind of rattled them in this game, that they weren't doing the things that they normally do, the fundamentals, and they were letting those slip under the cracks because they were trying to figure out how to get through the scheme. We want to go to the second half now and and soon get to the huge elephant in the room? Uh, I think that's the only place to go, isn't it? (laughs) Well, let's go there. So... My real, the thing I was really interested in, right, is because I really like Jonathan Giraldez. I think he's shown critical improvements on stuff Luis Cortez did last season. And I thought Luis Cortez was, was a good tactical coach. Weirdly enough, Barcelona fans didn't, but I think there were also some other issues with him that like rotations and stuff that really got them against him. But I think Giraldez, compared to Cortez, has built upon like the positional play foundation and really well, but added a level of flexibility with his lineup selections and rotations while always maintaining really like sound structure on the pitch. It's given him like multiple solutions with an expanded squad this season when, when everyone's fit to really go after teams in different ways, but always with the same fundamental plan in place. Yet he's never been challenged going into halftime with a scoreline like this, with really like being outperformed or you know contested like this to where it's just not working and he has to actually like change things to save the results save face or somehow reestablish what he originally wanted to do because everyone was playing poorly rhythm was completely gone and he needed to find a way in 15 minutes to calm everyone down help them remember what their goals and objectives were on the pitch but then also analyze, like, how do I stop Real Madrid from getting in behind the way they do? How do I solve the fact that we suddenly can't build out of pressure? And he made one interesting sub at halftime, if I'm remembering correctly. And it was Claudia Pina coming on for Layla. So what, just real quick, Grant, did you think Layla was the worst player? I think she was one or two. Okay, so the first or second worst player was taken off the pitch, which did not surprise me at all. And obviously, if Pina's coming on for her, and Pina being a central midfielder slash attacking midfielder slash second striker type player, if she's coming on for her, then obviously Rolfa is moving to left back, which is immediately what happened when she came on. And Pina took up the nominal position on the left wing. The first thing that went off in my head is like, okay, Jonathan wants more presence inside. He really wants to overload that side of our defense, pin our midfield line in, open up space for Rolfa, and uh, try to work things from there, right? And, and maintain basically the fact that Barca were left-sided biased with their buildup, allow Mappi to continue trying to, to, to dictate play, but remove the weak link from that side, right? Because Rolfa is obviously way better on the ball. But the, the other thing is the way Rolfa was kind of interpreting her role, and it's not always been like this. Like she's played inside quite a bit, especially when playing next to Jenny, to be the one essentially occupying a defensive line. I'll have to go back and look and really look sequence by sequence. So I could be a bit off there, but my impressions coming away from this game is that 
she was playing really quite wide most of the time and more like a traditional inverted winger. And so she was receiving and going at Lucia most of the time rather than positioning herself inside and playing more of an off-ball role. And so if Rolf was playing at left back and given how attacking Barca are, her role doesn't really change. So you still have that based on what happened in the first half. But now with Pina, you actually have someone who's going to move inside and occupy the same types of areas. And this became really, really noticeable, especially after Barca's goal. Jenny would drop off. Pina would rotate to occupy the right side of our defense. Pati would shift over. Alexia obviously is there. And they would have huge overloads on that side, right? They'd be able to play between Pati, Alexia, Jenny. Pina could also drop off and receive defeat. And then this would also open up space for Rolf on the left-hand side. So I thought it was a really astute decision. I thought Hiraldez, like really did well and you know, proved a point with, with how he managed things in the second half. But that was the first substitution. And I will say, and this is, this is what's going to piss everyone off, or what has already pissed everyone off, is the positive effects, at least, again, coming off my first impression, were not immediately evident until the penalty decision, which seems to have really, really altered the way the game played, which I don't think is that surprising, right? Goals change games. If that first goal gave us tons of confidence and rattled Barca, then Barca scoring the equalizer shook us up a little bit, shook a little bit of our faith, and Barca are like, all right, like this is it, we're coming back. So I've delayed it long enough. Let's get to the penalty call. So Rolfa is uh, on the touchline, going one versus one, puts the cross into the box. And I think what's missed in all of this is I, I hate to say it because she's always so good versus Barca, but Misa does a really poor job trying to punch that cross away. She's not able to get up to it. And it falls into the vicinity of Carolina Graham Hansen on the right-hand side of the box. And Olga comes flying in, does not get the ball, does make contact with Carolina Graham Hansen. The decision goes to VAR. The referee looks at it, gives the decision. It's a penalty. Grant, I, I think it's good for you to go first so people don't leave the podcast. Just lay it all out for me. What do you think about that decision? I immediately thought it was a dive. Upon further review, I understand that there was contact, and maybe this is just a fundamental disagreement with the rules of football. It could be, maybe it's bias. But I think, you know, the position that Graham Hansen is in, what she's trying to do, the small amount of contact, and then the severity of what's going to come because of this decision makes me feel like it is extremely, extremely, extremely harsh to give this penalty. Like, I know it doesn't matter in terms of the laws of the game, but Caroline Graham Hansen was not bringing, like, she wasn't at a place where she's shooting that ball. She wasn't at a place where she was, you know, one move in shooting a ball. She was kind of on the touchline. She was just trying to bring it down and would have been surrounded by defenders. I don't think this was directly leading to a chance unless she did something absolutely incredible which she is capable of doing i think it's not a lot of contact you saw that get not called in the midfield multiple times throughout this game i just think it was extremely harsh and you knew that by giving this penalty and i know this shouldn't come into the referee's mind at all because they just need to call the game but by doing this i think it's fair to say that you gave barcelona the confidence to win this game they were not creating a single thing they get a gift of a penalty and the game was over. Okay, so 
people don't leave this podcast. I will preface this by saying the overwhelming, I mean, I already mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, most people are on Grant's side. I saw a couple Barca fans say it was kind of soft as well. And I thought this ref overall did a really bad job. And look, I'm just going to say it because we're talking about the call anyway, right? And really in the second half, I thought she lost control of the game. Her The way she was calling like fouls in midfield was so inconsistent. I think especially after the penalty call and just the frustration from the Madrid players and you know the reaction from the fans in the stands like got to her and like she was overwhelmed. And look, these these refs are they're not prepped in the same way for these moments as they are in the men's game. So this is not me trying to like bang on the referee. I'm just calling it as I saw it and literally everyone from Madrid to Barca fans agree that generally speaking, she she lost control of this one and the way she was calling fouls and challenges in the midfield it, it started to make no sense at that point in time and uh real quick because thankfully david manayo who was actually able to attend the press conference unlike my ass got the quotes from toril and jonathan hiraldez on whether it was a penalty so obviously hiraldez thinks it was he said bar is there to impart justice it's a penalty olga stuck her leg out toril was he, didn't, he did not hold back. He talked about it multiple times. And uh, if you guys saw it, the match and when the camera panned to him, he was absolutely furious. I've never seen this guy so emotional in the game. But he was just on, after every foul after this, he was like freaking out. And so he was pissed. And in the press conference, he says, until the penalty, we competed and we were better. And after the penalty, they were better than us. I'm annoyed because this is the quarterfinal of the Champions League and there should be better standards. And he said that nobody was asking for a penalty. Well, obviously, Kamina Graham Hansen was, but I think he's talking about everyone else. He said there's slight contact, but that's not a penalty. There need to be higher standards. And then kind of again, he says the penalty determines everything until the 81st minute where we were tied. And then he goes on to say, like, I'm really proud of how we performed, you know, blah, 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 and stuff like that. So if you wanted Toril's opinion on it, it's not a penalty in his view. So this is all just stalling for me to get to get to my part, but I'm not that mad about it being called a penalty. I do think it was soft because Carolina Graham Hansen can stay up there if she wants to stay up. Like Olga is kind of trying to retract her leg. Ultimately, it's kind of hip to hip the way it comes in. And she could have just stumbled a bit, stood up there. But I just think that it's one of those where there's enough contact to where if if you if you if the ref is going to get it called the var it I just don't see how it isn't a penalty because while I don't know if there's a great scoring chance or anything Ola comes in with her leg out right she completely misses the ball and her leg collides with Carolina Graham Hansen as she's coming forward to to try to go to the ball after her touch and in my view it does prevent her from going on to try to attempt to get the ball. It did look like she was impeded, but it would have been impeded in a way where had she stayed up, the penalty would not have been called. It's one of those where she dives because she wants to call attention to the fact there was contact. And once you call attention to the fact that there was contact, I can see why the referee is like, well, the leg was there. It was there. It might've been soft, but ultimately she did stop her from getting to the ball or impeded her ability to get to the ball. And that's a penalty. And here's the thing. We've seen stuff like this not been called in every situation. We've seen stuff like this been called. I actually thought they were not going to call it because guess what? In the Champions League game just two hours before, 
between Bayern and PSG, there was a very, very similar challenge like this on Marie Antoinette Cototo in the box. And I thought it was way more clear cut than what we saw here. And they didn't call it. Like it was just not a penalty. And so that's what I thought was going to happen in this one. I, I, I thought it's going to be a soft call. Maybe Barca can feel hard done by and uh, we'll survive. But no, they went to VAR. They called it a pen. And I'm not super happy about it. I, I really do understand why people are frustrated by it. But I think I would have called it a pen. Yeah. Grant, I guess I'll give you the final chance to respond here. Here's my thing. And I'm sure none of you are listening. But Barcelona, Spain fans. If that was Rose Lavelle who fell to the ground and Megan Rapino came up and stepped up and put that away in a World Cup, would you think that that was a penalty? I'm pretty sure the answer is no, because I can remember all of the gifts from 2019. So I would just like you to keep that same energy here. <laughs> um, that's a good way to, to move on from the discussion. I think we said what we needed to say. And um, be honest, I respect people who disagree with me because I'm not a type of person to think that I'm the only one who can see a call like this in the correct way. Like I could just be wrong. So this does end up changing a lot. You can already feel like us, the, the emotions building up the players like in Justicia. Here we go again with Barcelona, right? Lots of people on Twitter who, who are like WSL fans are like, oh my God, like this is ridiculous. Alexia steps up and for a moment I'm like, is this going to be like the Atleti game? Is Misa going to end up making a save? But no, Alexia slots it away calmly. And, and there's a bit of a tide shift from here. So in the second half, we had based on Google, only one more shot, I think. And Barca like had like 13 shots or something in the second half. So it was a big flip after that penalty goal. Barca were just the better side. I did think though, they did not fully settle into like that dominant rhythm that we're used to seeing until much later in the match. Like we were still able to maintain some level of competitiveness with what we were doing, but it, I think it really changed or, or began to change where in the, sorry, let me trying to, trying to find my, my notes here, but in the 65th minute, Irene Paredes comes on for Andrea Pereira. At the same time, we sub on Ivana Andres for Rocio and Muller on for Olga. I think these were just subs we had to make. We were defending so intensely. This is going to come. I was a bit surprised that Ivana ended up coming on. If you're interested, she, she stayed playing on the left, which I actually think was a mistake for this game, which we'll get to. <laughs> but like in a, in a real tangible way, not just in my usual spiel, but bringing it back to Irene Pereira's coming on for Andrea Pereira, there's just like a, a big difference in class. Andrea Pereira is a good defender. Irene Pereira is a world-class defender. You could argue she's the best in the world. I'd say Mappi, but the way she was playing today, Irene was the best defender on the pitch for Barca. She comes on way more calm in possession. I think it's really impressive that she just walks into an environment like that and just flips the switch on how Barca are passing out from the back. I mean, we all know how good she is. Defensively, way more successful in duels versus Esther. She's bigger. She's stronger. She times her tackles better. She's better in the air. I, I think she really affected Barca. And, and that yeah, was the yeah. moment where they, where, where they got that level of control. So there was that. And can, I, can I add yeah, something really jump quickly in, jump in. And I think, not to take anything away from Paredes, because like you said, she had a huge impact. I think her impact was multiplied by the fact that the game got physical and the referees were 
a bit suspect, which allowed her to use her physical attributes to really wrap Esther up. And I think that that was definitely part of her dominance, apart from her good aerial presence, her dual winning as well. This is why I love analyzing single games, because literally everything has a caveat. And trying to pick out what means what, how much was something, you know, its own cause versus related to something else is really fun to me, as long as we try to do it honestly, or at least somewhat objectively. And yes, look, this was also related to the way the referee was managing the game, which literally no one disagrees at this point in time. It started to get really poor. And Irene, she was battling it out with Esther because they needed to find a a way to contain her because she was our main out ball through direct play, right? And she was was having a really good game. And uh, yeah, as I said, we need to talk about her. On our end, I think Ivana, when she comes on um, at left center back, there were just some moments where like she was forced to start passing with her left foot and we just couldn't have the same level of build up through pressure basically. And it, it's, it's strange because Rocio is not left footed, but there's just, I, I, I really don't actually, I actually don't understand it because Ivana, like, again, we've talked about it many times, but she came into Real Madrid as a left center back, but she just doesn't feel that comfortable when she's ushered onto her left-hand side and she has to make plays there. So there were some bad balls just kind of played with her left foot, just kind of thumping it in. Like, I don't see why at that moment you just don't put Iman on the right-hand side and bring Bob's over. And that might've actually improved our buildup, but it was what it was. I don't think it was like, oh my God, this is the reason we ended up losing. No, I, I just think it was a little thing that added to Barca's control in that moment, but thought it was worth mentioning. Did you have many notes on Muller? I mean, at that point in time, we were not really seeing much of the ball. So I, I don't know, but maybe you noticed something I did. And she went, to, really she went to the right-hand side, by the way, after they came to the left. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't think she was able to really get involved. And I just want to throw in here, too, I am not blaming any of this result on the referees. I was irate with the referees. But, you know, this is what Barca does. And I, I just want to make it clear that I'm not blaming the result on the refs. You ruined it. You ruined it. You were the perfect balance to me, and now, now we've lost everyone. So, <laughs> yeah, when Irene comes on, you really kind of see the tide changing a little bit. In the 78th minute, I think it makes sense to bring Maite off. My God, did she work her ass off in, in the front two of that press. She was. I, we could talk about every player for like 20 minutes. Like, I love Maite so much. Like, I mean, I've always liked her. But she's never been like in my tip top list of favorite players. It's always been Cardona, Ivana, Atenea, you know, that type of thing. But when we, ever, ever since we got to see her play in a more advanced role, I've seen that different side to her game that everyone was talking about that just, it moves her up a notch. Like she's just so, so good at playing between the lines and with receiving all sorts of different body positions, back to goal, side on, instead of just facing play and trying to dictate from there. And then her defensive work rate from that position is amazing. Like she was class, class today. Across, if we're, we're consistently looking at minute to minute, I think Maite and Tere outplayed Alexia, Aitana, and Patri, and Zornoza as well. I don't know why I'm excluding her. Music really... to my ears. <laughs> and But look, they're the more differential players and they were able to, to come up with the moments that counts. That's the difference. But minute right. to minute, our midfield three was better. I, I literally never thought I was ever going to say that, but they were so good. But Naikari comes on in the 78th minute. I don't think that's a terrible decision. Esther is going to can, be able to do... Can we, go, go ahead. 
can we talk about Lucia a little bit? I mean, she's she's been on and off throughout we'll, we'll, her we'll time at Real Madrid, but she she put in a pretty solid performance today. Just go for it, man. Just go for it. All right. I mean, like I said, like we we've criticized her on this podcast a few times. I was a little worried about how she was going to handle this when I saw Kenty wasn't in here. And she was really good in her duels defensively, passing from the back. I thought this was her best game that she's had in a Real Madrid shirt. I won't disagree with you there. I really, really liked her performance. Comfortable on the ball, went direct when she had to direct, look for solution on the ground that she did. Like, Not that my question had anything to do with it, but I'm really glad I asked her the question before the match about how do you deal with pressure as a fullback? And she gave the answer about, you have to have play quick combinations. You have to try to switch flanks quickly. And that's basically what we saw. Like, I didn't actually expect it to manifest. I thought, okay, that's what she wants to do, but Barca will be able to stop her. But she was good. She was good defensively most of the t- time trying to hang the throw out there. Being fullback versus Barca might be the toughest role in the world. And I thought she handled it really well. So yeah, I, I'm glad you brought her up and we give her a shout out. This was the performance that tells people who did not watch her last season why we signed her and why she's playing for Real Madrid. And that's a hell of a thing for, for us to feel after the match, that it was, it was not a mistake to not start Kenti. Anyway, 78th minute, Naikari comes in, and then Kenti does come in for Lucia, which is, I guess, why you wanted to, to talk about her in that moment. All subs that kind of made sense to me allow Esther to come and do more of that work deep, get fresh legs trying to run in behind that defensive line because we are going to get pinned back at this point, and then obviously give Lucia a rest because she's been just running her ass off the entire game with Kenti comes in. Unfortunately, three minutes later, we get the dagger. And this is just one of those moments where I don't know there was how, how much there was, we could do about this because there's a goal kick. I can't remember from which side. I think it was from Misa. And um, we just lose the balls in midfield, right? We lose the headers. And our midfield line had just pushed up too much in an attempt to win the second ball. Barca end up regaining possession and they're able to essentially launch a transition coming our way and just our backline has no help in that moment. They're able to get the ball wide. Forgot who it was who put the ball into the box, but Aitana. Can I can I take it for a sec here? I mean, Go it ahead. got more unfortunate in my opinion because Graham Hansen gets the ball and kind of tries to poke it inside to get on her left foot. And Sveva actually got a touch to it, but it was one of those ones where it kind of ricocheted off the attacker then off the defender right into the path of the attacker and then she's able to cut that ball to Aitana and you could take it and so Aitana does receive it in that moment and she's really really good in those types of positions finding space in the box Nisa makes a great save but can't clear the rebound and Pina puts it away and she was the impact sub on offense I do think she deserved that goal just in terms of the fact that that will highlight the impact she made coming off the bench I think it really helped Barca offensively in the ways that I mentioned before, in, in kind of how it was allowing them to overload that side, but in the way they were able to overload, made for better rest defense, right? They had so many bodies packed to that side that when they lost the ball, the counter-pressing access was just a lot better, and which is why I think Heraldis did a good job. And uh, that was a killer. That was a huge, huge killer because, as you said, there was something unfortunate about the way that happened. Like, it was just 50-50s being lost, and sometimes there's not anything you can do about it. To also make the save and then not be able to clear the rebound, that's tough. And literally, like, just a minute before, I was like, okay, this is, like, the game has changed. Bars are in control. We just have to survive. Somehow we can find a way to do it, and, and that goal ends up happening. And then 
after that, it, it's kind of over. Esther is still fighting, picks up the yellow card in the 85th minute. Enyan comes on for Aitan on the 86th minute to add more defensive presence. And then in the very last minute of the game, basically, we have like our press kind of falls apart. And for the first time, I think it actually really fell apart where they're building from the back. We have our central midfielders really aggressive. Zornoza is looking around, like are all the lanes covered and wasn't white. And they have just a vertical pass to Pina. I think it was dropping all the way into midfield. And Bob's came out and followed her. And this opened up real big space at the back line for Alexia to run into. And Patri was just able to hit that gap. Lucia doesn't come over to cover it well enough. And she ends up scoring Alexia. And that was all that was all she wrote. And that's 3-1. Did you pain? I guess like I was gonna ask you how you felt because that really sucked. I mean, I knew it was coming, right? Yeah, like but as soon as they got that second goal, not only was the game over, but the tie was over. Right, the tie was over. You could see that they were gonna score again, if not in this game. Like when we go to the camp no and the Spotify camp no, gotta gotta put that in there. Um, with ninety thousand in the stadium, like they're gonna want to put on a show. They're gonna win. It was just like, ah, this is how it be when you play Barcelona. That's the thing, right? I don't think we were winning the tie anyway, but it just stamped out all doubt when it's 3-1. Because we know Barca after this, yeah, they'll be happy they won, but they're going to be a little pissed because what is everyone going to be saying after this? They're not going to be like, oh my God. I mean, besides Barca fans, they're not going to be like, oh my God, clutch from Barca. They came back. They they did well to win ugly and, and, and shit like that. No, because this is the most dominant team in the world by far. The narrative is going to be Real Madrid had their backs up against the wall until the referee came in and saved them, and that's why they ended up winning. So we know these Barcelona players to like an insane extent. Pay Petty attention. Pay attention to what people say about them, and I mean like random people on Twitter. So they're going to be completely aware of this narrative. Right, Jenny Hermoso, I'm guessing, was like scrolling through Twitter, like after the match, like just screenshotting <laughs> tweet after tweet and pinning them on the wall, like they did with Sam Kerr's tweet, and being like, "Okay, this is this is how you think we won in front of eighty thousand people at the Spotify camp." Now <laughs> we are going to just absolutely destroy you. Uh, it's probably going to be the same tale as you know when we we lost one zero, and then the next game we we lose five zero. I would yeah, and, and, and so that's the thing, similar. right? Regardless of what happened in this leg, I just know the second leg is going to be different. But still, right, we came into this one being like, all right, we're, we're going to get whacked. And it didn't because stuff happens in football. Even if we're talking about improbable chances, there's still some kind of chance, especially after this performance, if it's only 2-1. And there are no away goal rules as well. So all we need is just one goal somehow, and it's even. And when it's three one, it that just becomes too difficult, man. Like the margins are just too small. How are we? No, you got to open up to try and score two goals, and right? You know they're just gonna hit you. And we we have to, and then we have to balance the league in mind with that, right? So how how do we want to? How aggressive do we want to be there? And I think the the real interesting discussion now, and I'm really intrigued about how we approach the second leg is is what do we do now? Because Barca are going to be ready for this approach. They're going to have a different time of motivation and you know a chip on their shoulder when we play that leg. How many of our key players do we play? Do we repeat the same 11? Do we go with the same strategy? I already have some thoughts on this, but Grant, 
what do you think we should we do? Should we should we just try to replicate what we did or okay, it's a different leg, let's do something different. You know, I've got multiple thoughts on this. After the game when I was mad and the game and I was like the ties over or whatever, I was like let's play the B team. Like who cares? This is over. We need to focus on the league. You know, it would even take away from their spectacle if we didn't play our strongest 11 or just like whatever. I doubt that's going to happen. I think that we'll probably try and tweak what we did today, but I don't think it'll go as well. I think Barcelona's going to be on a different level that day with all those fans, and regardless of what we do, it's going to be a beatdown. I would rotate cautiously. Like, if you want to leave Kenty out again, that's fine. But I would go in with, or maybe... I don't love Muller out on the flank, but if you want to put Muller in for Olga on the left wing, stuff like that. If Aslani's back like that, maybe play her over Maite and stuff like that. Or maybe try Esther Naikari up front, though. I, I kind Esther of out wide. That's what I want. Esther, yeah, the, that lineup we suggested, <laughs> un, unironically. That's what we want. Maybe we can try that and see how it works. Um, but I really do think we should just try the same thing again. And I know people are going to say, well, they're going to adapt and it's not going to work the same way. But here's the reality. Nothing we've done up until this point, and I'm including the 1-0 loss, which we should have conceded more goals, but I'm, I'm including that. We have not come near this close to competing with Barca with any other approach. And I'm not saying this is the ideal solution and it's just going to keep working every time, but no one actually knows what the ideal solution is. I would just be like, Let's see if we can do the same thing again, right? Because this is the only thing that's actually worked in any real way in terms of actually competing. We can talk about what worked in terms of relative to our expectation, but what actually worked in terms of giving us a chance of getting a result in this match, this is the only thing. And so to me, it's actually a no-brainer. Just go out and do the same thing and see what happens. And get, you know what? Barca probably will deal with it better than that. But what, what is your other alternative? Do something that we know fails and we end up losing big anyway. I think we have to go out and play with the same level of bravery. Commit, and that's the thing, right? You can't do this plan without committing to it 150%. Because if you're slow in the press, if you're like, eh, I don't really know about this, you are going to get absolutely shredded. That's why it's risky. It's not risky because you're leaving all this space and, and so much. It's risky because if you do not... 100% believe and this is the way to play this team, then the space will get exploited. So I think we just have to look at this and be like, Toril tells the team, right? I mean, obviously we're well past this point, but right after the game, I would have hoped he just looks at the team and be like, you did really well. This is how we're going to play Barca. We have them. Even, you know, even if he's lying a little bit, because I don't think we have them, just that's the message you convey to the team and really like ram it home in that moment that and use the penalty moment to be like, we can be this competitive again and just see how it plays out. And it'll probably play out worse. But again, this, these games are about testing ourselves at certain levels and trying to improve little by little. And if this is the leap to making a much improved performance on the ball and being able to actually compete with them, then I think you, you see what this looks like again, what adjustments we can make. So that's my view on it. And if there's anything we're changing, it's the lineups and based on rotations and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, my thing is in this game is I think this is the first game that we've ever actually competed. Like you said, you know, with that 1-0 result, we held on. We defended very well at times, but we did. Con 
concede a lot of chances, and we never really tested them. Getting that first goal was huge, and the way that we actually competed and played kind of toe-to-toe with Barcelona was the best that I've seen, I think, this year against Barcelona, probably. Um, I think this game was far better than our 1-0 result, although the scoreline suggests otherwise. Honestly, until, you know, like that, that spell after the penalty, I thought we were the better team, and I think there's an argument to be made that we played better, but Barcelona are better, and they were able to take advantage of their opportunities better than we were, and that was the difference. But I do think for lo- like the majority of the game, we outplayed them in this game, which is insane to say. I 100% think no team has played Barca better this season than how we played them today. We've both watched a lot of Barcelona. We've watched their big games in the Champions League. It's not really that controversial. I mean, they've just been so dominant in all the games they played. They've had little bits of trouble here and there, but not to the extent that they did versus us. And uh, that's an amazing thing to say. There's a little thing I want to say at the end to deal with the whole stadium controversy and stuff, because I do think it's worth addressing because it's been brought up so much. Is there any other things you want to say about the game? I mean, we haven't talked about the individuals we wanted to talk about, like I promised we would. So let's kind of go through them. Let's start with Esther Grant. What do you see from her today? And what did you like? I mean, absolutely relentless. It's what we expect whenever she's on the pitch. I thought her back-to-goal play was good. I thought her ability in tight spaces was really good. You know, a lot of people will point to those chances and be like, what if she put those away? But those were chances that she created, and they were difficult chances to convert. And the fact that she came so close is a testament to to how good she is and how good she's been this year. And she had that beautiful assist with the hold-up play for Olga. I think that she was one of our most influential players, especially in the attack that helped really put Barcelona on the back foot. Look, I don't know what to say. As flawed as she is, I love Esther, especially in games like this. She just goes to war. She was going at it with Jenny, off-ball sequences. I mean, they had their little thing. Um, That was her with Alexia, where I think Alexia gave her a little shove or something when they were talking to the ref, and like people freaked out about that. That was like nothing to me. But in this one, there was some real back and forth going on. A lot more shoves because we were in it. We were actually in this performance. And it's in these types of games where it's just like she feels so invaluable to me. And I just wish sometimes we could step back and actually just look at the entire picture, right? Because there might be flaws, there might be weaknesses, but what is it in the aggregate, in the context of any particular game? And today she was so, so good. I don't know how we would have been able to perform the way we did without her physicality, her desire to drop for the ball, shield for it, battle for all those duels and be incredibly physical. I mean, she's putting her body on the line every single time this happens, right? It's, it's not just like, oh, she's physically good. Like she's risking injury every time she does this. And she just goes in without any hesitation, which is what you need. And she bullied the shit out of Andrea Pereira on the day and got her subbed off. Like she literally forced Jonathan Giraldez to use a sub at center back, which he wouldn't have wanted to use because he would have wanted to save it and let her recover better. And he, she forced that to happen. That's, that's pretty incredible. I, I love her energy and, and her fight and desire and what she brings in these games. And she's been our best player this season, really, in, in my opinion. And I don't think it's that debatable. So that's what I have to say about Esther. I've already talked about Maite, Teresa Abiyar, we said a little bit about, but 
Grant, I don't know if you want to want to go again, or you can hop to another Man, play. We haven't talked about Zornoza that much. I was getting ready for the best the best possible results. I had loaded up the clip art keys, the clip art wallet, the clip art iPhone, and a photo of Alexia Puteas, and I was gonna be like, Terry's got Alexia in her pocket after the game. That is how good I thought she was in the first half. You know, obviously you can't post that after Alexia scores two goals, even though I thought she wasn't very good on the day. But that's that's how I thought this performance was. I mean, I was super, super impressed. And it doesn't take much to get me excited to talk about Terry. I think everybody knows that, especially if they read my most recent piece. I mean, I absolutely love her as a player. I was shocked, kind of. It slips your mind that she's 22. It's insane. I mean, such a good player to have in your midfield for hopefully a very, very long time. And I think she just continues to grow into this role. She was fantastic. And I just, she's so good defensively. Like, I wish we would really acknowledge that. Like, I don't see weaknesses in her defensively. She's just flat out a really good ball winner. On It's just the fact that her on-ball qualities are better that, like, we try to pigeonhole. But no, she's just really good at a lot of things. And it turns out that she's just better at the on-ball stuff. And I think her defensive impact was the most relevant thing today, actually, because she was on Alexia most of the time, and she was the one troubling her a lot of times. Zornoza, her most impressive defensive performance I've seen from her. She's the one, if we want to point out, has the defensive vulnerabilities. She's not as strong physically in duels. She can't cover ground as easily positionally. She switches off when people run in behind her. She was on today, and there were moments where she needed to cover, like on the goal that we scored early on, and she did really well. I thought Zornoza was extremely impressive on the ball. Both Giraldez and Toril in the pre-match press conference made a point to pick her out. And while Toril was asked, well, they were both asked questions about her, but they still went out of their way to kind of be like, on Giraldez's side, she causes problems for our press because she can receive in behind the first line, turn, make good passes. Toril talked about how she can be so key in providing solutions out of the press. I thought she was fantastic. Really, really good game from her. Moving on, I guess, just trying to hit on all the players that we can. Olga maybe got too aggressive going into that challenge because if she reads that situation better and just saves herself to go for another challenge, there's no debate. Like there's, there's no situation for penalty, but regardless of that, the aggression that she had genuinely really helped us because she had to be super engaged in wide duels. She was very, very smart going in behind. I just loved her celebration after the first goal. Like she just immediately started shit talking. You could see it holding her hands up to her ears there was a chip on the shoulder of every, like we came in, like, I don't know how much I actually believed Lucia when she said these psychologically, it's easy for us to prepare for these games. I was like, really? Like, it's easy. Like, I don't know if I would have chosen those words. And she's like, it's easy. It's a champions league. It's El Clasico. We're going to be up for these games. And you know what? She didn't fucking lie. So it was really awesome to see Olga's energy. And she was still a net positive, despite whatever happened in that incident in the penalty, because she scored the goal. Thought she was great. Atenea, I feel like we barely mentioned her. The issue with her is she can make poor decisions and not have the right ball, not know when to slow down the tempo and accelerate it because her ability is so great. She feels like she can turn to it all the time. Thought she was really fantastic at managing herself, carrying the ball into space in the moments that it made sense to do so, and no lax defensive effort. She works really, really, really hard against the ball great performance from her bobs 
it helped that they weren't pressing her, but I did like that she was just not bombing things into the channel all the time. A lot of Defended, really good sliding challenges, too. A lot of great sliding challenges. I thought Rocio was good defensively and great on the ball today. Sveva, I mean, she was on top of Hansen for most of the game, which, again, is a crazy thing to say. Yeah, I thought she struggled a little on the ball with some of her touches, maybe getting used to playing this Barcelona side. But I thought defensively she was pretty good. Yeah, and I did like the fact that, again, she had patience on the ball, was willing to just turn inside and rotate play. We already talked about Lucia. Misa, weirdly enough, did not have that much to do for a lot of the game. And she honestly might be the one that's the one where I feel more like cautious about going all out on because she made a mistake when on, on that penalty call. Had she been able to handle it better, nothing would happen. But I mean, she still ended up making big saves at the end. It just didn't matter yeah. that much at the end. She, she definitely prevented that third goal until Alexia then scored it. But they had that yes. corner kick where they tried to bundle it in and she had that falling back punch to keep that it off the really, line. That was really nice. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great intervention. But again, I agree that she was probably most culpable for the goal, even though the penalty was given on Olga. I think you just get a fist to that and none of that happens. Every time I think about that sequence, there's just more and more about it that frustrates me. That's how football is, right? It's a moment's game. I think we've basically run through the entire starting 11. I'm trying to think if we've missed anyone, but I don't think we have. Substitutes, I don't think there's really anything that notable from our side because when they all came on, it was just a different game and there wasn't that much chance for them to shine. So we're good with the game, right? We've covered it. Yeah, I'd just like to shout out Toriel. I think, you know, we spent a lot of time discussing Osnar, whether he was the right person, whether he wasn't. I think we had a lot of maybe bones to pick about the hire, whether it was, you know, the fairest hire, whether it was whatever. But I think he's come in, he's tried things out, he's made things work. Not everything has been perfect, but I think, um, I mean, like, the performance today shows really, like, what he's capable of, and I'm, I'm excited by it. I think it's promising. I don't, also, I don't think you have Instagram, Ohm, but... The whoever edits this guy's photos on Instagram that he posts before the match days get me in a good mood for the match every single time. <laughs> they are ridiculous. Like the man needs to hire. Like I don't know. They're so funny. You should definitely check it out if you haven't. His match day edits are so funny. I don't know what's going on. Rays of light coming through. Weird faded images. It's great stuff. You should definitely follow it. Much better on Instagram for a laugh than Osnar was. Well, I, I guess I need to include that now. I evaluate important analysis. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the first big time tactical performance from Toriel. I've been really skeptical of how people have just been like really easily correlating this turnaround in form and being like it's clearly Toriel. But when you've like gone and really looked at the stuff, it's been a lot of other factors. I, mainly, yeah, the biggest sure. effect of Toriel is that. He, ha- he's, he has a squad that unites behind him, which, which is really important. But again, it's not something that you'd expect to be particularly unique to him in comparison to Osnar. But today, versus Barca, that was a big-time tactical performance. He got everything right. He really did. And there were really, as, as I said before, really clear ideas about everything we should do in every phase of the game. And that impresses me. And I think he has elements of being like a really good reactive coach looking at what the opposition is doing 
understanding their weak points. And I think this aids him on like set pieces as well and his staff on set pieces as well in that he's able to design good game plans around it. This was also kind of similar to Osnar. I think Toril is just a step ahead. He's more mature. He's more experienced. He's going to consistently make better decisions. The question will be, again, as I mentioned much earlier in the podcast, how do we translate this game to game, especially when we're the team that's expected to be on top? Because that is what will ultimately determine our ceiling. Like, yeah, we want to compete in these well in these one-offs versus Barca, but Barca aren't just the greatest team in the world because they can crush elite teams because they do that every single match and beat everyone, all types of opponents, and have a different level to how they play versus sides that sit off and ask them to break them down. So I also think it was nice to see some fire. Like the man was like scream like not condoning like screaming at refs, but he was like fired up about balls that were called not out of bounds and like he seemed like a guy who would really fight for his team and I'm sure that helps the the morale. Yeah, it was real fun to watch his generally like calm and emotionless demeanor explode in that moment. Obviously, we we know he cares, right? Like, just because someone has a different personality doesn't mean they don't care. But there's something about the fan inside all of us that likes to see the passion in a classical. And in those like game changing moments, like, I think it's really remarkable that he did not hold back because this guy is super diplomatic in the way that he, he answers questions and he just went all out. Like, I think he recognized this was the one, right? If we were going to beat Barca, this was the game to do it. Things fell into place. The plan worked. Their players were off. It's going to be difficult to get a chance like this for a long time. But I've, I, I like that he sees it that way because it means he saw something here that was really promising that we all saw. And yeah, I, I want to see what his decisions are like for the second leg, like how much he bets on this again. It's nice that despite the fact that we lost and we lost in a way that essentially makes the tie over, I'm actually like really looking forward to the second leg because there are things we can take away. Whereas opposed, I, I feel like we were getting really repetitive with these classicals, right? It was like, yeah, let's, let's we have to like work so hard to be like, what is good? What is not? And it feels like we're grasping at straws. It wasn't like that today. And I hope it won't be like that in the second leg. So one more thing to say about the second leg is, you know, regardless of how we feel about Barcelona and regardless of the result, this is a spectacle that is so great for Woso. The 90,000 people in the camp know, the Spotify camp know, the, the, the zone streaming it out. It's going to be, I think, kind of a huge iconic moment. And it's kind of cool that, you know, regardless of the fact that we'll probably lose, that we're going to be a part of this, we're going to be able to watch this in real time. Because it feels a bit like a turning point for European women's football and hopefully women's football in general. So that takes me into the controversy over the stadium, right? Because Real Madrid are the only side in the quarterfinals of the Champions League that did not host their home match in their primary stadium. Every other side did. And lots of people pointed this out, including Ea Masar, who is Babette Peter's wife. Lots of journalists pointed it out. The reaction from Matadistas was extremely aggressive and negative to that and looking to shut it down. And I would say that in this moment right now, it makes zero sense to, to hold it at the Bernabeu. But you can't just stop there, right? Like I agree with Matadistas because they'll say, is 50,000 people actually going to show up? And if it doesn't, it'll be embarrassing. You know, there was also the point about, well, 
we're going to get embarrassed by Barca, so what's the point? But you know what? Imagine having this performance at the Bernabeu and the energy that would have been there with us competing there. Also, we got embarrassed at the Bernabeu with the men's side against Barca, so like that argument just does not work for me at all. But a lot of Madridistas, so mainly what they were saying was, it's not the right moment to do it. Who is going to show up? We need a lot of people to show up. We need time. And, and okay, I agree with that. But then let's take the logic further. You have to ask the, answer the question, why won't people show up? Why is it not the right moment? And that's when you start getting into things like Real Madrid have done a really shitty job promoting and marketing this team. And guess what? This is, this is the thing that gets me is Madridistas say this all the time, right? Who is it who's complaining about not getting squad lists, not getting lineups on time? It's Madridistas, right? Because we're the ones who benefit from that. Who are the ones that complain about not getting information on the team, especially when people are injured? Who are, who are, who are the ones complaining about the fact that we want to see more you know, from the social media person in terms of posting pictures, videos. I mean, there was more controversy. Player availability. Right, player availability for media. That's what I was going to get to. I mean, more Madridistas kind of defended Real Madrid's position on this because it was Mia Eriksson was the one who pointed it out. And so like, oh, she's not a Real Madrid fan. Though. Actually, she is, funnily enough. But they're like, oh, she's not a Real Madrid fan. So you're not allowed to criticize the club. So we're going to come after you and defend it. But oh, plenty of Madridistas were like, yeah, it's dumb that Real Madrid does not allow players to, to, to take interviews from the press un, until they go on the, the national team and you have to try to catch them there. So yeah, it is not the right moment to go to the Bernabeu as of now, because we have not put in the work as a, it's our fault. That's why, right? It's not because of some nebulous 100%. factors that we can't control. The reason it's not the moment is because we did not put in the work to make it the moment. That's, that's the main takeaway from me. And, and look, if we had put in the work, and it still wasn't quite there, and we weren't really feeling it with the team and the matchup versus Barca, I could accept it. I really could. I could be like, all right, let's, let's wait, right? This is a long-term project. Let's go next year. Let's see how... But you can't say that when we haven't done what we needed to do to get this team out there and inform everyone about what's happening. Now, there are other like really terrible arguments. That was the good argument. There are a lot of terrible arguments that I don't know why this is propagating the way it's propagated, but... Every Madridista and like the reply to anyone who criticizes this is like the only reason these other teams move to the big stadiums is because they have to have VAR and their smaller stadiums didn't. I know for a fact that for the German teams, that's not true in Wolfsburg. And like they have VAR in their in their smaller stadiums. Like that's just been floating around as just a talking point for people to throw out to just automatically defend this decision. So that's not true, at least for some of the teams for sure. And whatever it is, it is a bad look when every other team you know, is, is in the main stadium and we're not. What I will say, you can still disagree with the idea that everything after I've said, like, or, you know, you can, I, I think you have to accept. And the weird thing is Madridistas do, but the issue is when someone else points out the tribalism comes up. But if you've accepted that we haven't done the work we need to do, put us in the Bernabeu at this point, then, okay, I understand then disagreeing with people who are saying that it's Real Madrid should put them there. What I don't like is the level of toxicity that has emerged from fans on social media when discussing this. And it's, it's just unacceptable. I understand some will like be provocateurs. There were a lot of Barcelona fans and stuff that were saying stuff to just, you know, get one over us. And, you know, it was not really an honest discussion. Yeah, I get that. But leave those aside. Like when Ea Masar tweets out something, a fairly like strong statement, but she's a very outspoken person about not being able to play at the Bernabeu for the women's team, 
after the classical loss and saying that being humiliated by Barca is a bad reason for that. Despite the fact that it was a horrible day for all of us, there's no excuse to come at her that with the rage that people came at, like telling her to shut her fucking mouth, just absolutely getting dogpiled. She posted it there. You can disagree with her. She kept her replies open. She engages with people. She does it because she wants to see what people's responses are. But like literally just have a tiny bit of decency, especially someone who's directly connected to our team. Like, what are we doing here? I'm really sick of people using their fandom as an excuse to show their worst selves. You can have whatever opinion you want. You don't have to agree with me at all. But it's really not serious enough for us to turn ugly on each other. That's all I wanted to say about this, because we've been having this discussion in a really bad and unproductive way. And it obviously, there, there are people from you know, the other side who are also coming at, at this in a wrong way, and you know, they have their own agendas, but we're Real Madrid fans. I'm speaking to Real Madrid fans, and so that's just what I wanted to say about it. I agree with you, Grant, that I think it's great that Barca have been able to achieve it. They've put in the work over multiple years to get this team you know, out there well-known, obviously aided by more than anything else by their successes. They're far from perfect with how they do everything, but in many ways, they're a model with, with, with how we want to go forward with the women's team. And hopefully, we can also have the same moment where we can put them in the Bernabeu. And I know that is the long-term goal of the club. It would be shocking if it wasn't, but sooner rather than later. And it's not going to happen magically, right? Put in the work on all fronts, on the social side, on the marketing side, and then yes, on the team building side, and getting us to compete, which is the thing we're doing best at the moment. So Grant, any final words? No, I echo everything you said there. I think you're spot on with that. All right. This was a lot, pretty long podcast, I think, but I think it was really worth it. It is just hit 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's my time. <laughs> we're going to wrap it up here, folks. I hope you enjoyed this discussion and uh, got some insight into how we were able to contest Barca the way they did. Grant's piece on Teresa was perfect timing. I was actually thinking my guy published it like too late, you know, kind of in the evening to yesterday, it's going to Classico. It's going to overwhelm what he wrote, but given the performance that Teresa had today, I think Grant needs to be re-upping that tomorrow and be like, Hey, I I wrote something guys in case you wanted to (laughs) read more Teresa prop again. So check that out. The immediate reaction is there. Yash. We'll see about him getting out a piece when he can about the most impressive players in the match. He kind of told me that he wasn't in the right mindset to write at the moment, which I understand because he was like really emotional about the penalty call and stuff. And I mean, this is Yash. He's one of the most analytical guys out there. So this was, this is the type of game it was. We will see what I do on the tactical analysis side, which will be on my sub stack. If I end up putting something out, as I said, it's 9 PM. Do I want to stay up all night writing? We'll see. Do we'll not stay up all night. Get some sleep at least a I, little bit. Come on now. Because otherwise, it's going to come out on Thursday because I'm not going to have the Because t- there's going to be Champions League matches tomorrow, right? That I'm also going to want to watch. It's going to take up a lot of time. I'll have work in the morning. I'll have to write in the evening. And that's it's too late for me to publish. Then I'm going to have to publish on Thursday. So we'll see what's coming. But my goal is to put something out either tomorrow or today. Um, I was going to say tomorrow or today. Jesus Christ. tomorrow or the day after really breaking down everything that happened in the match so so we can have more comprehensive answers i asked people on twitter about whether they're okay with it coming out thursday i got like five replies saying yes 
but I'm, I, I, I might like go sicko mode and try something here. All right, um, but, and I still, have to, I still have to edit this podcast, so I'll probably only start writing it like then. All right, guys, thank you for listening. Hopefully you didn't leave after my terrible opinion about the penalty and you stuck with us. Grant, always a pleasure, my man. All Madrid. All Madrid.